Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good day, everyone. This is Tony Moskal with your high school sports podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for everyone. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is at betonline.ag. Who would have thought Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, the Blue Bloods of college basketball may not make the NCAA tournament. BetOnline covers even award shows, TV shows, reality TV. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, the 24-hour online casino. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. On this week's podcast, I'm joined by someone who I think has one of the toughest coaching jobs in all of high school. Can a team have too much talent? This person was a star at Cleveland High School in Reseda for then-coach Bobby Braswell an all-city guard his senior season, leading the Cavaliers to 22 wins and a league championship. After graduating from Cleveland High School, having offers from Long Beach State and Cal State Fullerton, he chose the mighty Matadors of CSUN. Before leaving CSUN, he found himself atop the record boards in several categories, such as points, assists, steals, and is still in the top 10 in all three categories. He's just one of four players to surpass surpass 1,000 points and 300 assists in his career. He got into coaching at an early age and proved his ability to take teams to the top. Starting at his alma mater in Reseda at 24 years old, the tremendous career began. He's been successful at all of his coaching stops, including Oaks Christian, where he won a CIF championship, and he's been the head boys basketball coach at powerhouse Sierra Canyon in Chatsworth. Welcome, Andre Chevalier. Coach, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Uh, Let's go back to your days as a player. Um, I, I read an article, you you kind of had the deck stacked physically against you. Um, you know, three fingers on your left hand, you're partially blind. How did you overcome all of that to become such an excellent basketball player? Uh, just hard work, um, determination. You know, I think, I, you know, I put in, you know, probably double the amount of hours as other people, um, especially with, you know, uh, being a point guard. Uh, and, you know, having to handle the ball so much. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that I was touching the ball as much as I could every day. Um, you know, thanks to Pete Cassidy for allowing me to be able to get in the gym and uh, in the summers where I could just dribble and dribble and just get very comfortable, um, you know, with handling the ball uh, and understanding, like, situations that I'm in, uh, how to navigate those situations with my left hand and uh, how to still be able to, you know, stay aggressive and attack. Did it give you satisfaction when people would be defending you and say, hey, I'm going to force him one way, and you would beat them going that way? What were the discussions like as the game went on after you did that? <laughs> uh, it was a lot of trash talking, and, you know, I think, you know, people don't don't really worry about your psychological well-being when they're com- competing against you. Uh, you know, so it was a lot of trash talk, you know, about my hand and, you know, you can't do this. And the coaches would say for some left. Um, and, and because I, you know, have practiced so much, 
Uh, I was very comfortable attacking left and getting to my spots. Um, but oftentimes, you know, being able to push left and get other people's shots, you know, because their man has to help uh, and things like that. Uh, it, it was pretty satisfying. And, you know, I, I had a laugh a few times, uh, you know, when I was able to, you know, do exactly what they thought I couldn't, uh, you know, so. But, you know, it, it definitely was something that prepared me for life. Right. Because people doubt you in life uh, and you have to continue to prove to them um, that you're capable uh, no matter what you what you may look like to them. Did you ever run back up the court and go, hey, coach, maybe you want to force me to my right next time? <laughs> no, I've never done that. But, you know, there, there's a, you know, uh, a couple of times where I would at least look at them and be like, yeah, go ahead and keep on doing that if you want to. Uh, but yeah, I'm just trying to let my trying to let my game do the talking more than more than my my mouth. <laughs> Uh, you get recruited by three schools, but you chose uh, CSUN. What went into that decision? I think I was super excited about the fact that um, we were going to be a first-year D1 program. Um, you know, so being there, you know, as a foundational member of a team that, you know, pushed the university into D1 uh, was great. Uh, and, you know, the, the only other point guard in the program was a senior, and so I thought that I would have the opportunity to learn from him for a year uh, and, you know, then take over the program for three years after that. Um, you know, fortunately for me, uh, he left the program um, in my freshman year. Uh, and so I was the only legitimate point guard, which allowed me to play significant minutes at first. And then I think, you know, right around the 10th or 11th game of the season, um, I moved into the starting lineup. Uh, you know, and it was trial by fire. And so I had the opportunity to learn and, you know, uh, deal with, you know, different schemes and start to understand scouting reports and, you know, what coach wanted me to do um, as far as distributing the ball and uh, playing defense and making sure that the offense was flowing um, as smoothly as possible. What went through your mind? You're a freshman and now you've got guys that are seniors, you know, you're 17, 18 years old. Some of these guys may be 20, 21 years old. And, and, you know, the point guard, you're the court general. You're in charge. What went through your mind knowing that you're leading these guys? Uh, one, I had come from Cleveland High School where we were a national power every year. So um, I was definitely used to being on the court with other elite players. Uh, in my four years, 16 guys went D1 and probably another three or four went D2. Uh, you know, so playing with elite players and giving instruction uh, by the time I got to Northridge was second nature to me. Uh, so I really didn't even see them as older than me um, as much as I saw them as being players. Um, and thank God, you know, God blessed me with the ability to have a high IQ uh, and be able to pick up plays and understand where people were supposed to be. Um, so just making sure that people were where they were supposed to be uh, and communicating as best possible. Um, it, it came pretty easily to me. You leave CSUN with several records and those, having those records, did it give you some self-satisfaction knowing that people told you you couldn't do it, you couldn't succeed, that they doubted you? And it, how, how did you, when you look back at those days, how do you use that today to motivate kids? Well, definitely it gave me great satisfaction, right? Because, you know, there are a lot of naysayers, um, 
you know, a lot of people that, you know, question Coach Cassidy uh, for recruiting a, a point guard that, you know, uh, had a, a different, you know, we, I call it limb different now that I'm I, that I was limb different uh, and blind in one eye. Like, how could you recruit recruit a point guard like that? Uh, and so it gave me satisfaction, you know, to know like that, you know, it was definitely a level that I could play at and I could contribute at. Um, and, you know, it made me believe that not only did I do well for myself, but I made other players around me better. Um, so that 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 was amazing. Uh, and then to be inducted into the Hall of Fame for my accomplishments uh, several years later, uh, you know, it gave me great pride. Um, it allowed me to leave a legacy uh, and something that my kids and grandkids can go back and see uh, and look up for the rest of my days and their days. So super proud of the accomplishment. Um, even more proud that I was able to be the first person in my family to get a degree from Cal State Northridge. Uh, so it was it was it was wonderful um, in so many ways. Uh, and these days, you know, when dealing with my players, I mean, they really have no excuse with me um, because, you know, I, I can say like I was able to do this with, you know, with being limb different and, and you know, not having full vision. Um, so with hard work, you can accomplish anything that you put your mind to. Uh, and just making sure, uh, you know, that they are mentally and psychologically well um, so that they can, you know, be the best players and the best men that they can be. Because um, it's one thing to uh, have physical prowess, uh, but it's another thing to be balanced mentally. Uh, and, you know, mental health, you know, we understand now is so important uh, in performance uh, and in life ridiculously important and uh your last game you need 29 points to become the school's all-time leading scorer which had been around since 1962 you dropped 38 what do you remember about that game and how much fun was it uh I remember that uh I had 12 points at halftime and I was like I got a long <laughs> way to go here <laughs> I gotta get this thing going pretty quickly uh but coach really just like you know, in the second half, he's like, just don't like play with no restrictions and, you know, just go out and do the things that you do well. Uh, and honestly, I got several of my points from playing defense in the second half, you know, just like picking up the tendencies of the point guard and being able to get some steals in the open court. Uh, and, you know, my, my team was uh, so supportive in, you know, trying to get me the ball uh, and give me the opportunity to break the record. Uh, you know, so that was a wonderful, like, team-building opportunity for me uh, to see how uh, when when you're accomplishing great things, others want to see you do it uh, and be a part of it. So I'm appreciative to them uh, for supporting me through that. Um, and I just remember when I – I knew when I hit the shot that that uh, gave me the record. And uh, <laughs> um, I was asking coach to take me out, but he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, Cause we were pretty close. I think we were either, <laughs> we were either tied at the time or just behind. Uh, so he didn't, he didn't take me out and give me a chance to gloat, which was probably a good thing because <laughs> I may have lost focus. Um, but I think I went on to score, like you said, 38 uh, and we ended up winning the game. Uh, and so, you know, on all accounts, it was, it was a wonderful day for me. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I'm so appreciative to Coach Cassidy uh, and the university for giving me the opportunity. You you mentioned Pete Cassidy, a longtime coach, 
at Cal State Northridge. Um, a, a fantastic person. I know guys that played for him, and I, when I was a student there, had met him, talked to him. You got coached. You started coaching at such an early age. What did you take away from him that you use today? Now, he taught me so much, but I think the one thing that, you know, for me when I came in, you know, I was a stubborn 18-year-old and, like, didn't trust other people with the basketball. So there would be often times where I would run a play and, like, ball chase and go back and try to get the ball to be able to be the person that was making the decision. I mean, he just taught me, like, you just have to get yourself down into the offense and trust that your teammates are going to be able to, to operate uh, and execute the play. And I fought him. And then, you know, one day I got stuck down in the offense somehow. I don't know how it happened. And, you know, I caught the ball and had a wide open shot in the easy bucket. And it was really like the first time that I recognized, like, uh, maybe in his uh, 35 years of coaching, he might know <laughs> what he's talking about a little bit. Maybe I should start listening to him uh, and doing the things that, you know, he's telling me. Uh, but, you know, once I opened up and understood, you know, that he was trying to challenge me, uh, not only on the court, but in life to become a better player and a better man. Um, at that point, you know, I let the guard down and, uh, and started to, you know, listen a bit more. Uh, and it really is where, you know, I got the foundation of balancing the offense with the defense and, you know, understanding X's and O's uh, and execution, um, you know, and what I should be looking for uh, in my progressions as a point guard. So, I mean, I think the list goes on and on as to what I learned from him. Uh, and so I, I can sit here and talk about those things all day long. You get into coaching at such a young age. Were you intimidated being so young, you know, running your own program? And what were the challenges that you faced and where did you find early success? Definitely was a little, you know, when I got the job, First, I was a little surprised uh, that I got the job because I was so young. Um, but because Cleveland was my alma mater, um, you know, and I bled at that time, you know, red and black. Um, you know, I think that was one of the reasons why I was able to talk them into uh, trusting, you know, a kid that had just come out of college uh, to running a program. But definitely, you know, early in the game, you know, I, I definitely knew that I had a lot to learn. Um, but, you know, I just try to teach the kids like we got to we have to play hard uh, in order to be competitive. And, you know, because I was still young at the time, I could actually get out and show them and compete with them, uh, you know, and push them to the next level, uh, you know, physically, you know, as well as mentally at that time. Uh, but I think that, you know, one of the things that, that was a struggle or a challenge for me at first uh, you know, was just understanding the intricacies of the game, um, understanding that in the fourth quarter, you know, I need to be more present as a coach, um, you know, to help the kids get through and uh, to be victorious with execution and finding, you know, mismatches and who should be having the ball uh, and different things like that, you know, came hard. Uh, the success, I, I think, was all predicated on a level of defense that we played, um, you know, uh, in high school, I, you know, my pro, the program was a pressing program, you know, so I just try to create as much chaos for the other team as possible um, and, you know, make things uncomfortable 
uh, and make the players have to think, you know, while they're being pressed and, you know, moving fast. Uh, so I think that's what that what that's what contributed to my success early uh, is because I just always was, you know, about playing defense at a high level. Then you returned to Cal State Northridge as, as an assistant. How much fun was that returning to the, the, the Matadome and, and kind of where you had so much success? Oh, it was, it was you know, wonderful. I, I thank Coach Braswell for giving me the opportunity to come and learn, um, you know, being a part of his program um, and, you know, being, you know, able to see uh, how meticulous he was in uh, his organization uh, and how the practices, you know, were run uh, and, you know, how precise he was with time. Uh, it, it really is what, you know, taught me how to be, you know, a, a better coach, an elite coach, whatever people are calling me out there. Um, I learned from uh, being around him. Uh, the other thing that I don't think that people realize when you're a, a D1 coach is that not only was I learning Coach Braswell's system, but when I was scouting other teams, you know, I was learning so many other systems and scouting plays. And, you know, Braswell was was not, you know, he, he, he would not let you, like, come in to scout with notes in your hand. So we had to actually know uh, the other team's plays and defenses and off the top of our head. And I didn't know how valuable that was going to be to me uh, until I went back to coaching high school again. Uh, and when I became a head coach, uh, at that level, uh, things would just pop into my head in critical moments um, that I had to either learn from him um, or learned uh, from other coaches and programs uh, when I had to scout them. So it was definitely imperative for me. You know, I, it was imperative for me as a coach to, uh, to work for Braswell and to be at Cal State Northridge uh, because it is definitely the place where I learned um, how to be a high-level coach, how to be organized, uh, how to challenge and motivate, uh, you know, players of all levels and ages uh, to accomplish great things. Then in 2015, or you find your way out to Oaks Christian. And how did you find your way out there? And once again, you were incredibly successful. Um, I actually found my way to Oaks Christian because uh, I was I was coaching a girls basketball program um, and I was the dean at Cleveland at the time. And uh, fortunately for me, the dean's position and girls basketball position at Oaks Christian was open at the same time. Uh, and, you know, several of the parents from Oaks Christian played for my club team. Uh, and so that was the way that I heard of the job. Uh, then interviewed and went over there as the girls coach for a couple years uh, and then was blessed to have the opportunity to coach the boys over there um, where I was able to, you know, win my first um, CIF title uh, and, you know, really just catapulted me at that point, uh, you know, into the spotlight, you know, as, as a, a good coach. Um, and then just from there, it just has increased and improved and you know, thank God I, I, I try to be, uh, you know, um, open to always learning and continue my education in, in the game of basketball. Uh, and I think, you know, that place and, you know, being successful there uh, allowed me to create some opportunities to learn and get better and grow. 
you coached both boys and girls, and you you were successful with both. What were the differences between coaching, and were there any differences? Did your style change? Did your approach change with one versus the other? Uh, my style never changes. Um, I have high expectations of the girls, just like I do of the boys. Uh, but the one thing that I learned uh, in coaching girls, I think uh, the purity of basketball is in the girls' game um, because they are 100% uh, team. Uh, they execute uh, and they need each other uh, to be successful. Uh, where boys, uh, they feel like they can win the game on their own. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, I think that's a fine line. Yeah. You know, being able to allow them to use their skill uh, but also teaching them that it's imperative that their team uh, is involved uh, and that they need their team at a high level uh, to win. But I learned so much with the girls just because, you know, I I had to learn how to, you know, build team uh, because in the girls game, uh, you know, it's important that they like each other, you know, and for them to go out and play well and to win. Uh, and just, you know, seeing the girls who are so skilled, uh, and understand the the game at a high level, um, you know, taught me, like, you know, I need to be a little bit more detailed uh, in, you know, the plays that I'm drawing up uh, and the things that I'm giving them to do uh, because they need the execution uh, to be able to, you know, um, be successful and win. Let's take a moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare, dead stock, or the latest released, Find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go for the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. Tough word for me to say. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers for $100 or more, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Back here with Andre Chevalier, head basketball coach, Sierra Canyon High School. Okay, so in 2015, you take the Sierra Canyon job. You take over for Ty Nichols, who had a great run. What did you change, if anything, and how did you impart your philosophy into a program that was already very successful? Uh, I had the privilege of working uh, under Ty as an associate head coach for a couple of years and, um, you know, just was able to learn so much um, from him. Uh, I think that, you know, when I took over the program, it kind of was just like the perfect storm um, of players coming in, um, you know, who were very talented, uh, but still were, you know, they were open for the most part to learning uh, and being pushed. Uh, and so, you know, I think that, you know, the, the attention to detail that Ty brought to the table, um, you know, I, I kept that in play. But just, you know, I think I challenged players in a different way, um, you know, to, to step outside of their box uh, and to push to the next level. Um, you know, Ty gave me the, you know, experience of 
being, you know, in high level games and playing against the best teams in the country uh, and sitting on a bench and watching him navigate that um, taught me so much. So, you know, you know, um, I, I think that, like I said, I was able to uh, use what I learned from him uh, and just, you know, challenge the players at, at a different level um, to step up, uh, to execute uh, and to, to strive for perfection um, in times that it was necessary uh, to strive for perfection. And, you know, I think all good coaches know uh, you're only as good as the players that you have. And I have been very blessed to have some great players uh, in my three years, uh, now now in my fourth at Sierra Canyon. The amount of talent you've had come through that school is it's absolutely insane. How do you coach kids that are that talented? What do you really focus on? I'm very detail-oriented. Um, you know, and I think because I'm a point guard, I think I have like, I see small things uh, that players need to improve upon. Um, and I don't let those things go by the wayside. Uh, you know, I make sure the players know, um, you know, what I think their weaknesses are uh, and how they need to improve them. Um, and one of the things that I tell everybody is like, I'm a truth teller, right? From my perspective, I, I can only tell my own truth. And so being able to have conversations with the players about what I see, um, how they can improve uh, and uh, the things that they need to do to become elite, um, you know, allows me uh, to build a relationship with them of trust uh, because I, I tell them the truth, but I then give them the tools to be able to uh, improve themselves. And we have a term, you know, at Sierra Canyon called elite greatness. And it's defined in like um, combining your skills, focus, and effort to perform and play hard all the time. And so I try to get them to do that. Like, you know, always with the skills that they have. Uh, and the focus and effort, if you can combine those to go hard all the time, uh, then you'll be operating at an elite greatness level. And so we try to, we try to you know, instill that in them and perform at that level um, every single day, um, not just as a team, uh, but individually as well. Now, over the years, it's, it's well documented the, the names of the players you have, who the dads are and all of that. How difficult is it for you, or do you ever feel pressure to play somebody over somebody else? And do you get pressure from anybody, or is it, hey, this is my program. I know who you are. Stay in the background. This is, we're going to do things this way. Because everybody wants to know that question. <laughs> well, um, I, I, I understand, you know, exactly who I'm dealing with and the players that I have. Um, and I don't, I don't set those strict guidelines. Like it's my program. I'm gonna do things the way I want to do them. Um, I think that, you know, when they watch me coach and they see practice and games, um, you know, they trust and understand that I know the game at a high level. Uh, and you know, you know, the NBA guys are the most understanding of the process. And so they're not they're not up in arms when you lose one or two games. 
Uh, they want to know what the final product is going to look like uh, and that you're going to be there at the end to compete. Uh, and so, you know, I, I try to do a good job of balancing that uh, and running my program. I, I have a, you know, we, I'm going to say we have a, a, a culture at Sierra Canyon um, in the basketball program. And that culture stands no matter who you are or what your name is. And so uh, when when you come in, you understand this is the culture, this is how we operate, uh, and this is what the expectations are uh, for you as an individual. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's wonderful because uh, most of the NBA players get out of the way and let their kids grow into their, um, you know, to their best self um, and, and work through the kinks um, as high school kids. Uh, every now and then, you know, there's disagreements, but we just have conversations and talk about it. Uh, and, you know, it's been a great benefit for me uh, to have NBA guys that I can go to and like, what do you see? Like, you know, we've been struggling in this area. You know, what are you seeing? And, you know, they're very respectful in how, you know, they tell me what they see and what they think I should do. Um, and they give me the information uh, and they respect the fact that sometimes I might use it. Sometimes I might not. Uh, but to be able to have that expertise uh, in your practices, watching sometimes or uh, in the stands during games has been has been a great opportunity for me. Isn't that ironic that these guys that are going to the Hall of Fame, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, all of these guys, that they stand back, let you coach. But then again, at some schools, you hear these horror stories about, you know, mom and dad that never played the game, that never won anything, are out there yelling at the coach, telling the coach what to do. I, I find a lot of irony in that. Do you? <laughs> yeah, I think, though, the the – those parents feel pressure um, a lot and are pushing their kids because uh, a lot of the times the kids are the savior for the family um, or they're the way in which the, you know, the family is going to get out of poverty. Uh, and so because of that, you know, they, they are challenging and pushing and, uh, you know, having expectations of what should be happening when they're freshmen. Uh, instead of allowing them to go through the process to see what the final product is going to look like uh, when they're seniors. Uh, so it is ironic that that, that it works that way. Uh, but, you know, I, I've learned in life that, you know, when you have experiences and you, you've seen things, uh, it makes you more wise. And because the NBA guys have experienced basketball at every level, uh, the wisdom that they have uh, and understanding of the game is just uncanny. Now, being the children of some of these high-profile guys, do they put pressure on themselves individually, or do do they kind of have the free reign to kind of go out and 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 just play? Because you know how some parents put pressure on kids. Do they kind of put a lot of that on themselves? Uh, I think you know probably um, every person, every player puts pressure on themselves to operate at a high level. Um, I, I think that, you know, the kids may not be putting that level of pressure on themselves, but a lot of the times, you know, social media uh, and the media will put pressure on the kids that, you know, is unwarranted or comparing the kid to their parent, uh, which is very, very unfair, uh, you know, because everybody has to go through their own process uh, and learn at the level that they learn uh, and have experiences that, uh, either challenge them to be great 
or let's, let's them know that, you know, this is not something that they want to do in their lifetime. Uh, and so, you know, I think it varies player by player and person by person. So I, I can't, you know, I can't answer that, uh, that broad question because it definitely varies per kid. Yeah. Um, you know, with so much talent in today's game, everybody wants the ball. Everybody wants their numbers. Does your culture, the past, and and all of your success, does that kind of take care of itself? Like, hey, you're going to get your points if you stay within this system. And and how do you deal with maybe somebody that says, you know, hey, I, I got to score my 20 tonight? Um, I don't really deal with that too much anymore, just because if you come to Sierra Canyon, you know, there's other elite players playing beside you. Um, you know, so, you know, there, there's always going to be opportunities for individual players to showcase their skills. Um, but we try to, you know, push a team game, um, and, you know, do what we call SC basketball, uh, which is playing the right way, playing defense, uh, sharing the ball and diving on the floor as much as we can. Uh, you know, to give the greatest effort that we can possible. Uh, but, you know, you know, people, the, a lot of times kids are coming from other places where they are the star. They are the person that have, have to shoot the ball 20 times in order for the team to win. So I don't think that they're coming here uh, on purpose trying to disrupt what we're doing. Uh, it's just, again, it's an experience that they have to have uh, to learn the value of sharing uh, and the importance of having other uh, elite players on the team. So you don't have to, you know, feel the pressure of doing everything on every night. You've had so much success. How do you keep yourself and everyone grounded? Huh? Because one, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a project kid. I was born with three fingers in my left hand and I'm blind in one eye. Like, I, if that don't keep me humble, I don't know what the hell. <laughs> I don't know what else will keep me humble. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I just know that, you know, this thing could end in any moment. Uh, and so I just try to keep my head down and, you know, work as hard as I can and learn as much as I can uh, to continue to help the kids. And the most important thing in this coaching for me uh, is the mentorship of the young men. And so I always want to make sure I'm doing a good job uh, in mentoring uh, and having conversations that push the kids to the next level um, outside of basketball uh, so that they can become productive citizens, um, you know, who are not afraid to speak their mind um, or have a tough conversation, whether they're the person that's, you know, initiating the conversation is more verbal or the one that has to hear what other people think about them. Both of those uh, those skills are, are imperative as you go through life. And so I just know, like, I, I haven't, my life hasn't been the easiest in the world. Uh, and so for that reason, um, I stay humble because I know I could go back to that moment at, you know, at any time. Anything could happen uh, to push me back to the projects. And you know, for that reason, I keep my head down and I keep working. Now, what are we hearing about this season? Obviously, things are changing. Um, you know, football is being played. A lot of sports are being played. What are you hearing about indoor sports being played for this year? Honestly, it changes every day. I, I, I don't know, Tony. Like, if 
you know, they, they, they just, um, there was a lawsuit in San Diego that opened up, you know, indoor sports in California. Uh, but you know, then it has to get down to the County, the County level and they have to clear us. I mean, I I don't know how we could play indoor sports if we can't practice yet. So (laughs) I don't know (laughs) how that actually works. Uh, but I'm optimistic, you know, um, you know, I'm hopeful uh, that we'll be able to get, you know, uh, some games in, at least for the seniors uh, who don't have another opportunity to play their senior year um, and, and, you know, give them the opportunity to go out with the bang with their team, whether that, you know, we play 10 games or it's a league championship that we can go after or a CIF championship, whatever it is, uh, you know, we just want to give our, our seniors that opportunity uh, and find a way to continue to grow as a team uh, and get better. You know, there, there's always a silver lining. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of um, bad things that's come from COVID. Um, but I think, you know, in retrospect, we'll look back uh, and also see uh, that there was a lot of, you know, great opportunity uh, that came as a result of COVID. Uh, and, you know, there, there's going to be things created during this time that will change our lives forever. Uh, so I'm always trying to, I'm a, I'm a silver lining guy. I'm, I'm going to look to see how we can improve and get better, uh, you know, in this, uh, you know, tumultuous pandemic, you know, time. And so we shall see. Uh, last thing before I let you go, I want to ask you just a couple of, you know, just basketball related questions that are kind of fun. Uh, who was your favorite team growing up and who is your favorite team now? Are you talking about NBA? NBA. NBA. Favorite team. It, it actually changes because I'm from Maryland. And when I was in Maryland, the Washington Bullets were pretty good at the time. So I was a Bullets fan for sure with Wes Unsell. Yep. You know, I remember, you know, shedding some tears when they lost the championship uh, back in those days. Uh, and then when I moved to LA, I became a Laker fan uh, because I love Magic and Michael Cooper. Um, you know, I love Magic because of his point guard and leadership skills, uh, and I love Michael Cooper because of the way he played defense. The old Cooper loop. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, now, your favorite player growing up? I'm gonna have to say Magic. Okay. Uh, you're in your driveway. You're hitting the game-winning shot. Game seven, NBA finals. Uh, who are you? Jordan. You got to be Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> that goes without saying. Uh, for me, my generation, um, just, to, just to like know what Jordan endured before he started winning championships, uh, you know, to me, really – um, you know, is the reason why I think he's the greatest of all time. Like, um, you know, and I, I watched him hit shots and do things like that. Um, but but I think that, I mean, obviously I'm biased because Kobe is a Laker, um, that he's close behind. Uh, but I think that right now LeBron, man, like this man is still playing yeah. at this level. At 36 years old, um, you know, and I and I think that sometimes people don't really value you or give you your just due uh, until you're done playing. So as much as, you know, I grew up with Jordan as my guy, 
Um, I think that if, if, if LeBron continues to do what he's doing, uh, he will be the greatest to ever play the game. Uh, and we just don't know how many more years he has because um, he still looks like he can play five or six more years at a high level. So uh, he's going to break every record. That Which the is NBA that, that's made. just insane. Insane. It's just I mean, crazy and, watching him play. Last question for you. Let me finish. Let me so when we talk about the greatest of all time, we're just talking basketball. I'm going to say Jordan, right? But if we're talking about social justice, standing up and speaking his mind, um, understanding the business of it all, uh, using the free agency market uh, in a way that nobody's ever done before, uh, the full gamut of the game uh, is already LeBron, without question. Yeah. 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 Last question before I let you go. You have a father-son game at Sierra Canyon. Who wins it? <laughs> that is a brilliant question, you know. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going, I mean, are we talking about in their prime? Like, because <laughs> we're talking about in each player's prime, the fathers are going Whenever. Because <laughs> the there's are no referees, by. right? Is no refs. Um, <laughs> the, the, the fathers are just so big and skilled. <laughs> every father is bigger than their kid and, and at least equally as skilled, if not more skilled. So, but, but, uh, but be, it would be fun. It would be fun. And I would have to, I would have to project forward to see what all of the kids are going to turn into. Uh, but I would pay for that game. Without question, <laughs> I'd pay to see that game. <laughs> you and me both, man. Well, Andre, I want to—I cannot thank you enough. I know you're very busy. Um, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this with me. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and obviously, you know, continued success moving forward. You know, we're we're both matadors, so you know, I've got I got something in my heart there. Yeah, I was gonna say anything for a fellow matador. Um, Tony, I appreciate you so much for what you're doing, and thank you for having me. Uh, keep pushing forward, brother. Yep. All right, Coach. Thank you so much. Uh, and for everybody else out there, thank you for listening. I want to thank Andre Chevalier, Sierra Canyon. Uh, let's keep the numbers going down. We're close. We're getting these kids back out there. We're seeing the results of all of our efforts. Uh, let's keep moving forward. And until next time, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.